0: Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. Easy to digest approach to the Dharma that I think is especially well suited for uh, stressful times such as these. Um, known as the divine abodes or the Brahma viharas. And I will talk about why I think um, this is, these practices are so uh, well suited to the context within which we find ourselves. The divine abodes, what are they? Well, they are states of mind in which uh, it is said that the awakened reside. These are, in many ways, the goal of a spiritual practice from the Buddhist perspective. They are um, states that are most manifested in our intentions towards other people and towards our own internal experience. Um, they are sometimes known as the four immeasurables, a complete, in and of itself, simple spiritual path that can be practiced without limit. The beautiful thing about the, these divine states of mind, these pure uh, intentions, is that it's said that if you practice these, that you don't really need to add anything else to your spiritual practice to go all the way to a state of enlightenment. Um, And indeed, much of the Dharma, uh, the Brahma-viharas are found throughout. It's also lovely in that it's four easy to remember uh, uh, reflections. Or intentions, and uh, so it's not like all the some of the other Buddhist uh, teachings can be far more complex. For example, uh, trying to follow the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, uh, or the Paticha Samapada uh, requires a lot more cognitive reflection and uh it's sometimes more difficult to discern uh at times how we can implement uh in day-to-day moments Uh, there are many other the wings to awakening the five factors and so forth but i think the most portable of uh, the buddha's dharma taught many different paths all of which lead Uh, to some form of freedom from stress and suffering. But I think the Brahma-Baharas are amongst the easiest to implement in day-to-day life. Now, before we jump into what these uh, four divine attributes are, or these uh, esteemed attributes are, it does require a very, very basic understanding of karma. Karma, of course, lies at the very heart of what the Buddha taught. And um, it's also probably the most misunderstood of all the uh, core uh, insights of the Dharma because so many of us have already developed ideas from popular culture of what karma means. Namely, the most generic belief of karma is that if you kick a dog, uh, why you would do that i don 't know it 's a bad thing to do, but if somebody kicks a dog, then sometime in the future a dog will bite them, or if you do something bad uh somewhere down the line, uh something bad will happen to you now this is a cause a kind of a rudimentary mechanistic cause and effect approach to karma. It's based on the idea that the universe is an enclosed system and that um, all actions breed contrary reactions and that somehow if you act in a negative way, there's some kind of force that will, in some future date, uh, enact retribution. Or if you act well, that in some future date, something good will happen to you. This is actually not the most... uh, Accurate, in fact, it's in many ways an inaccurate uh, way to conceive of karma. I'm going to read you one of my favorite summaries of it by, in the f- wonderful sutta called the Kalamas, where the Buddha is confronted with a lot of uh, doubters and people who are really understandably nonplussed by being confronted by another spiritual teacher. And they basically ask the Buddha, why should we believe anything that you teach or say? And the Buddha says, don't believe anything that anybody teaches or says or tells you or anything that's in, you know, that's common sense or that's uh, rumored. See for yourself. And if you do see for yourself, he goes on to say, you will find that if your intentions are peaceful, if your intentions are free of selfishness, then you will live with ease. And having done no evil action, trouble will not seek you out. This insight essentially boils down to a psychological insight, that when we act out of any harmful or selfish intentions, that it essentially creates a sense of, one, uh, a very divisive, a uh, very antagonistic state between me and other people. psychologically. It works under the observation that if we uh, host uh, positive emotions towards others, we will also feel and experience those positive emotions, not only towards ourselves, but that we will also be experiencing positive emotions while we are uh, developing those intentions. If we are constantly... uh, intending some form of punishment or some form of uh, uh, meeting out some kind of justice towards other people, then we will not be in a very pleasant state of mind. Now, given um, our species uh, advantage, which is our ability to form tribal bonds, our ability to affiliate in positive ways, the brain over the, the course of primates developed neural regions and circuits that reward in fact empathy there's a special uh region right behind the frontal lobe called the uh, super marginal gyrus and the no it's not right behind it's actually in the back of the brain i don't know what i'm talking about the super marginal is in the back gyrus which is right near the dorsal anterior the cingulate cortex which essentially raises and lowers our dopamine, not dopamine, our serotonin, excuse me, and endorphins, depending upon how well our bonds are with other people, how concrete and supportive and how um, positive our tribal relationships are. And so if if we act in a way that's unskillful, Uh, the super marginal will create feelings of uh, essentially shame. It'll lower the levels of serotonin and endorphins. And as well, those regions of the brain are directly implicated in shame and depression. So the better, the more positive are social relationships in general, the more positive the mood states and more positive, the uh, essentially re- relief from uh, disorders. So I think that this observation of karma that the Buddha makes, that if we act with harmless intentions or with positive intentions towards other others, it's not an external thing that will happen to us, but it's more a, a necessary, uh, inevitable result of being within brains that developed to to promote tribal relationships, uh, adhesion to a group, that we'll feel better, that we will be happier. Um, So uh, knowing that um, the, this prime, this core observation is that, uh, the more peaceful intentions, the better we feel, the more harmful or divisive, the worse we will feel. Ultimately, there are four Brahma Viharas. And, uh, I think when I'm trying to, uh, uh, relate them in a way that i think will make sense uh i think that they do make sense kind of innately but let's take them from the top the first brahma Vihara is uh probably the most well-known it's uh in pali known as meta but what it is constantly uh, uh translated is is goodwill some people r- r- translate it as loving kindness uh, some people translate it as unconditional friendliness. So whether I, I, I like goodwill or friendliness, it is essentially an open, non-judgmental stance. And it's based on this karmic reflection that our peaceful intentions, our welcoming intentions, not being based on fear or anger or hostility or revulsion, if we have peaceful intentions towards others, not only will we will eventually feel better in our own minds. And furthermore, if we wish others peaceful states, reflecting that if they have peaceful states, they too will feel better as well, because their peaceful states will lead to peaceful intentions, and that means that they will have even more happiness in their life. Now. Regarding others with an open, non-judgmental, welcoming uh, stance is m- harder than ever these days. Uh, certainly in New York, I can't speak to anywhere else, uh, but in New York, um, I've noticed more and more as I uh, walk around and when you know, we encounter people Uh, there's this tendency to, and understandably, reflexively regard others as threats. Because human beings, let's face it, are the way that other human beings get COVID. And so the more anxiety in the culture, the more... uh, unknowns we're faced with, and also the fact that masks cut off so much of our face, and we can't read each other's facial expressions, therefore, all we can see are the eyes and it's very easy when all you see of somebody's eyes is to mistake a friendly regard as something that might be hostile or might be uh, diffident or so forth so it's very difficult these days to practice metta or goodwill or friendliness because there's this reflexive tendency because we all know that um, uh, other people are the source. Of the contagion, it breeds this sense of fear and and uh, unknown. And so, to me, this is the most important practice when I walk around, which is to, uh, in the words of an old teacher, to shoot people with meta, shoot people with goodwill, to literally think as I pass them by, may you be happy. And just that thought. Counteracts this underlying tendency or this unconscious stress that I think so many of us experience as we uh, go to the grocery store or if we go out to do some form of walk, get some sunshine, or exercise or whatever we do. It's more important than ever to to uh, compensate or counterbalance this innate uh, sense that of a kind of recoil from other people. And because um, of the pandemic, so many people I pass by are not even, I mean, New York was never a great place to begin with for eye contact, but it's definitely not a good place for it now because there's something about wearing masks and you know trying to keep social distance that <clears throat> through mood congruence, turns into this sense of adversarial, and unfortunately, one thing that's also been happening in New York is there's a lot of social. Uh, there's a lot of shaming that goes on. Uh, different people clearly have different standards for what is appropriate. Uh, PPEs, uh, and and there are very there are people who clearly. Very uh, anxious, and while I certainly wear the masks and even the you know the gloves when I go out shopping, but I try not to fall back into that kind of hostility or shaming. I find it much more uh, beneficial to constantly practice goodwill, because ultimately, shaming anyone never changes their behavior ever. All it does is in fact the studies with uh, from the 1980s and 90s and trying to get people to practice safe sex during the HIV transmission found that the more you shame people uh, for doing things that you think are unsafe, the more you only spread the behaviors that we don't like. So trying to be uh, to regard others positively um, is for me a very foundational step. Now, the second Brahma Vahara is compassion. When friendliness and goodwill encounters suffering, it wants it to stop. When we are empathetic, we don't want other people to suffer. Uh, even people we intensely dislike, if we have compassion, we don't want them to suffer. We simply want them to develop Peaceful intentions and to understand karma so that they don't act in harmful ways. But we want people who are suffering not to continue suffering. We want their suffering to stop. Compassion transcends our aversion to other people's distress. And so many of us have a unconscious aversion to. To people who were suffering, um, this, of course, stems back to our uh, species history when other people uh, were ill or were uh, uh, had essentially given way to some form of mental illness or so forth um, part of the innate response was to get distance. And we can have this underlying degree of disgust or aversion to other people's suffering. Uh, So compassion asks that we overcome this, this innate programming and to listen, to empathize. It doesn't mean that we get involved to the degree that we feel the need to fix everyone else is suffering. Compassion is a stance of not judging another person's distress if we have the ability simply to listen, because deep down inside, when people are suffering, the most uh, fundamental need is for, some, they, is for someone simply to listen and hear. What someone is going through, that's what regulates our emotions, and that's what allows us to begin to heal. Um, so compassion doesn't ask that we become uh, that we stop everything that we're doing all the time and that we become completely caught up in trying to uh, address another person's suffering, but it's a intention to not fall back into this, again, reflexive uh, sense that, oh, some form of pity will pour them, or some form of, of judgment, oh, well, you know, uh, it's simply uh, an empathetic regard. The third is kind of almost in many ways, uh, balances out the compassion towards, uh, not only do we experience compassion for other people's suffering, but we experience appreciation for other people's uh, good emotional states, for their serenity, their joy. When goodwill encounters uh, somebody who's happy, they want the happiness to continue. So just as compassion wants suffering to stop, uh, compassion is goodwill that wants suffering to stop. Appreciation is goodwill that wants happiness to continue. Appreciation is the uh, ability to appreciate another person's uh, skillfully won or earned uh, rewards most importantly about appreciation is that it doesn 't fall into the sense of competition with others when we can appreciate uh, when we can appreciate other people's uh, happiness we don 't believe that their well being or their good news at some way comes at our expense there 's this uh, due to Uh, capitalism, there's this uh, rather sad, what could be called a zero-sum view of happiness, which is that uh, because so many of us are trained by hegemonic messages in our culture to believe that happiness is a result of material rewards, money, money, and so forth, it can seem that another person's happiness or their good news comes at our expense. Because certainly there are only so many material rewards to go around. But from the Buddhist perspective, the spiritual perspective, there is no limit to happiness. It is simply the result of fundamentally practicing uh, kindness, um, compassion, appreciation, generosity, uh, and so forth. So when we encounter someone who's doing well, we don't, especially someone who's experiencing joy or elation, we don't view it in any way as coming at our expense or in some way a verdict that we're doing things wrong at all. Um, and so... I. I think that all three of these for the first three brahma Viharas, ask that we do things that are innately very difficult and um, they require a degree of practice we all like to think of ourselves as um, having a degree of goodwill meta but um, Practicing, especially these days, towards strangers, towards people we don't know, towards uh, people who we believe are acting irresponsibly, and so forth, is very, very difficult. Compassion is very, very difficult to practice with any sense of balance. Appreciation is very, very difficult in any capitalist consumerist society or culture where we innately believe that other people's uh, well-being or, or uh, happiness certainly means it comes at our expense. Now we all want spiritual life to be comprised entirely of positive emotions. Uh, That's why there's such a thing as spiritual bypassing and why uh, some people use meditation, spiritual pri- uh, practice, as a way to try to uh, get past negative states. Um, but the uh, this idea of the emotional mind should be constantly positive clearly doesn't always work. And the more we try to always... Just focus on these first three. They we will invi- invariably activate reasons uh, to not practice them. Uh, no matter how much we try to experience goodwill or towards people we don't like, it'll be very very difficult. Uh, moreover, the emotional mind in and of itself is prone to be over-involved in other people's lives, and so while the first three. Brahma-viharas are heart practices. The fourth Brahma-vihara, equanimity, is very much more a cognitive reflection or head practice. It's our heads or our cognitive or, you know, our ability to stop and reflect that knows the limits to how much we can be meaningfully involved in helping others and feeling compassion or being engaged in other people's Lives. Equanimity essentially is the balancing of the Brahma Viharas. When equanimity encounters dukkha, or which otherwise known as suffering or distress that we can't alleviate, especially despite if we even try, it simply doesn't become alleviated, uh, equanimity is the ability to, to, to detach before we add more suffering. Very often, if we try to help someone through some form of compassion, and our initial attempts are met with intransigence or uh, disinterest, or it just comes to a frustrating conclusion, we'll try harder or we'll keep pushing them to do something. And this can only add tension into the relationship, but more importantly, it will start to um, deteriorate our own sense of inner peace. The more we become over-involved in someone else's um, life, where we try to become directive, where we try to become instructive, where we try to intercede despite the fact that someone is not Hearing us, one of the most common uh, uh, occurrences, of course, uh, people we love who are, we believe, not practicing uh, safety during the pandemic might be people that we really care about who we hear or or we know are not uh, uh, using the kind of protective devices when they go out or seem to be uh, disregarding. Some of the basic protocols, we can be engaged in these constant uh, battles to try to get them to act in a way that we believe is uh, responsible. Uh, Likewise, there can be attempts from people in our family that have completely different political views than ourselves. And there can be this ongoing desire. To try to somehow through logic or through stating facts or by uh, some form of debate to try to uh, convince them otherwise. And of course, all this does is add stress not only into the relationship, but it also makes us more frustrated. So, equanimity is the ability to to know when to detach and to know when it's time to direct our efforts towards another relationship or to another endeavor. It's not cold-hearted. It in fact makes goodwill far more effective to know when we can be of help and when we can't. And it allows us to practice goodwill and metta towards ourselves. Because all of us need times where we uh, put aside the thought, the concerns, and we take care of ourselves. In many ways, equanimity is the least practiced of the Brahma-Viharas. It's the one that is uh, very often when I give a talk on the Brahma-Viharas, it's the one that catches people by surprise. There's this wonderful test that a monk once told me that he gave to uh, another group of, uh, of renunciates to see how well they understood equanimity. The, the test or the challenge went something like this. He told the story of these ancient group of monks who were practicing meditation in a cave And suddenly, this group of bandits burst into the cave and held them all at at knife point and said, you're you're here in the cave where we hide all of our loot that we steal. And we're going and this is not okay. We're going to have to uh, kill one of you so that you understand never to mention this. And if any of you does, we're gonna go and find the rest of you and kill all of you. So they say to the head monk, which one do you want us to kill, which monk of yours? And in the group of monks, there's a very old monk who's not that far from uh, his last few years on earth. There's a very lazy monk there's a monk who uh, is actually st- hasn't gotten very far in the practice and has has a tendency to be very judgmental and of course there's the head monk and so he asks his students which person do you think this monk chose to kill which monk, which person did the head monk offer up now Almost all of the monks in training would say, "Well, he offered himself," in the belief that that must be certainly the most Buddhist spiritual practice to offer yourself. Uh, and that's not the answer. Uh, the answer is that in this ancient parable, the the head monk doesn't respond at all. He doesn't think less of himself than other people. He doesn't believe he deserves less to live than others. He knows that all beings deserve to live, and he takes care of himself as well as he would take care of any of his monks. So he certainly can't answer the question. Now, another way that I have come to uh, understand this, uh, courtesy of another monk that I actually did get to study with, uh, Tanisarabiku, Ajan Jeff, use the analogy of a heart surgeon. Imagine there's a heart surgeon who can perform an op- operation that every year would save a hundred people's lives. So he can do a hundred operations in a year. And suppose that this heart surgeon every day has 10 appointments in his office and further suppose that one of the first one who comes in is somebody that he cannot help, somebody whose heart condition, his operation, will not in any way uh, prolong their life or help them address in any way uh, the, uh, the abnormality. And then Ajahn Jeff would say, would you want that heart surgeon to spend all day trying to help that one person and not be able to detach and meet with the other nine people that he possibly could save or play a positive role in their life so the idea is that we all have to know what the limits of our goodwill our compassion our care our appreciation are and if we don't know the end result will be suffering most likely for ourselves, because nothing causes distress more than an inability to take care of ourself. It's like that old analogy of the, if you're in a plane, hopefully you're not these days, but I remember that there's always that announcement that if the uh, oxygen masks drop from the ceiling, we're instructed to first put them on ourselves before we try to help someone else. So that in and of itself is a kind of a message of equanimity, that we can't disregard our own needs if we try to be spiritual people. So um, it's easy to feel goodwill and compassion for people we like, but it's very hard to feel goodwill and compassion for those we don't know and we don't like very hard for me to feel compassion for Dick Cheney. I've tried for years and I'm up against this constant wall of resentment. And there's other people now in the white house that I equally struggle with, but the goal is to be tried to be is uh limitless with these attributes as possible. For me, it's just a path of progress. <laughs> um, Likewise, it's easy to feel equanimity towards those we don't care about. Uh, There was a very funny comedian who died uh, quite a number of years ago, Patrice O'Neill, who did this very funny, even though if I describe it, it will seem horrifying, but he did this very funny uh, uh, routine where he talked about himself watching the news, trying to feel... The requisite amount of compassion when he he learns about uh, 3,000 people in a country he didn't know existed had perished in a landslide. And it's this very funny uh, routine of him trying to form his face into compassion. He just can't do it. And it is hard to feel um, compassion and goodwill to people we don't know. And it's hard to feel equanimity when people. We love our suffering. It's easy to feel equanimity towards those we don't care about. So the practice is really, if anything, for most of us, to feel and spread our ability to feel compassion first for those we don't know, especially goodwill these days as we walk down streets and we see others, to overcome that reflexive, regard of other people as unsafe, which I fear will um, follow this uh, pandemic like a shadow for a long period to come, this uh, undercurrent of aversion or fear of others. And it's also another part of the practice that's worth exploring to try to feel equanimity, even though some people we know, we love, we care about, might be suffering to know what our limits are. The entire program, 12-step program of Al-Anon, which has uh, been so helpful for so many countless millions of people, is based on the ability to develop equanimity through setting boundaries. Not everyone needs to practice these attitudes equally. I should note that Some of the most secure people who grew up in excellent uh, family systems can experience so much empathetic connection with people in general that they fail to set good limits and take care of themselves. In one sutta by the Buddha, the water snake sutta, the Buddha notes that if somebody believes that we are all interconnected to the point that we suffer anytime anyone else suffers and we can't carve out any space for happiness and know how to detach at certain times, we'll never be able to experience any happiness because there's always suffering going on in the world. So even the most uh, well-balanced people need to learn how to practice equanimity to know um, when this ongoing regard for the suffering of others, we need to take our own break and to take practice some self-care. The anxious, those who grew up preoccupied with just single attachment figures in their life, generally fail to set um, uh, an empathetic connection f- with other people and they tend to be so preoccupied with one person that they don't focus on goodwill towards others avoidance people who are loners who tend to uh, overly focus on self-reliance and are overbalanced towards detachment these are people that don't need to practice equanimity they've got loads of equanimity they They don't ever have a problem detaching. What they need to develop is both, especially compassion towards others to remind themselves of becoming in some way tolerant and listening when other people are suffering. So that's just a anecdotal note from my work with people where I find the the work is to be done But overall, I have to say that when I practice metta as a meditation, by far and away, it can be, it can produce the most peaceful, serene results of any practice. And so what I'm going to do is lead us on a uh, Brahma Vihara meditation. Um, There's... Two different ways commonly, or there's a bunch of different ways that people practice the Brahma Viharas. Uh, one way is simply to recite, recite the uh, phrase, Sabe Sata Sukhi Hantu, which is uh, in Pali, may all beings be peaceful. And that's a, a kind of a phrase that is often recited and chanted. Uh, not going to do that tonight but I will at one point uh, just remind you of it. Um, I like reciting the phrases and moving through first people that uh, we care about, then people we don't know, and then finally even people that we don't like. Now, none of us have to in this practice immediately bring to mind Trump or Dick Cheney. (laughs) that's the super advanced practice that's in fact beyond most mere mortals so don't go for the hardest practice just bring to mind uh somebody that you don't like and so the the phrases we always will start with ourselves, and then for the other person so may i be peaceful live with ease may i be free from suffering that's compassion may my happiness continue that's appreciation and then my happiness and suffering are the results of my thoughts and actions. That's the reflection on equanimity, that there's only so much we can do. Now, towards other people, we use the phrase, may you be peaceful and live with ease. That's metta towards other people. May you find freedom from suffering. That's compassion. May your happiness continue. That's appreciation. And then your happiness and your suffering are the results of your thoughts and actions. So reminding ourselves that while we can practice compassion and goodwill, that ultimately each person's spiritual path, each person's recovery and healing, each person's spiritual growth, ultimately, most fundamentally, relies on their own actions and that there are limits karmic limits to how much we can do for anyone else the intention is not to disregard the role of social structural or racial biases or to overlook the fact that there are injustices happening but it's to remind ourselves that we cannot ultimately be the fundamental conduit to another human being's peace of mind or ultimately even in a landscape of unfairness it ultimately requires each individual to take charge of their own healing and their own other socioeconomic structural factors that play a significant role, especially in happiness and suffering. We're talking about the happiness and suffering that ultimately come from the person's actions in and of themselves. So uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to go into the practice uh, before we do. If uh, you feel um, open to the idea of supporting my work as a Buddhist pastor in Brooklyn, which essentially involves uh, offering uh, spiritual counseling to any and all that I can, as well as teaching. If you'd like to, you can either Venmo Dharma Punks with an X N Y C, or you can just go to the page Dharma Punks with an X NYC, that's D H A R M A P U N X N Y C on the web dot com, and you can find the PayPal button. But don't worry about it if you've obviously, um, in any way, uh, had your income stream of negatively affected, or you, it's just too stressful economically. Of course, all, everything is done offered free. So with that, let's just find a really comfortable. Uh, relaxed upright position, closing the eyes, and just trying to balance the head nicely on the shoulders. And uh, if there's any tendency at all for your head to slouch in front of your chest, the simple practice is just lift. Your chin up a little bit, like you're looking at a slightly tall, the top of a tall building. And just that simple adjustment is very often all I need to, is all the effort I need to put into my practice in terms of my body. And the rest of the body, we just incline to relax. So let's just start that by... uh, Squinching the muscles in the face, the uh, cranial muscles to squinch them and then tight and then release it's a long exhalation. And um, So encouraging the forehead to smooth out and the eyes to settle in the eye sockets and the uh, jaw to become unclenched. And always sending a nice request to the eyes that they settle in the eye sockets. When the eyes stop shifting and moving around in the eye sockets, the mind very often begins to settle, the jumpiness of attention, the scatteredness of thoughts, the... Inability to focus uh, tends to subside when the eyes settle. Optic nerves and the cranial nerves are very influential to mood. There's a great deal of mood congruence there. So um, take a nice in-breath, lift the shoulders up, rotating them back, and as you breathe out dropping the shoulders back. So when you rotate them back, you open up the chest and you let the arms hang really heavily from the body and just allow your hands to just fall in the most comfortable position they can be, whether on your legs or knees or maybe just on your lap. I cut my fingers together and press my the tips of my thumbs together. And then a third breath, breathing into the abdomen, the belly, and just let it expand as we breathe in. And then as we breathe out, just release and soften the belly. The abdomen is the very bottom of the vagal nerve. The chest The very central part of the vagal nerve in the face, the very top of the vagal nerve. So all these practices help tone the vagal nerve, which lowers our heart rate, makes us less reactive. The longer we breathe out, the more we incline the autonomic nervous system to the parasympathetic. Fast, intense inhalations do the opposite. They wake us up, mobilize us, create hypervigilance. So to relax, we really focus on long, smooth exhalations. So try to cultivate that state of uh, having nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing to take care of, where we've reached a destination that we truly enjoy, an opportunity to rest in the present moment. So it's this ongoing, Intention to relax into whatever is unfolding in front of us. No matter what arises, no matter what... thoughts may suddenly appear. First and foremost, continue to focus on paying attention to the body. And when we encounter anything that feels tight or stressful, just feel invited to breathe into that area or to soften or adjust or do anything that allows you to settle, be supported. Kind of that state when you've taken a long hike and you've reached a beautiful vista and the first thing you do is you find a comfortable place to sit and you just... Relax into this sense of having arrived. And where you've arrived is to the present moment, which is the only time in your life where you can cultivate spiritual growth, wisdom, insight. So if we encounter any sensation, we greet it with goodwill. We don't judge it. We don't get exhausted or disappointed. We just acknowledge. And then if some sensation in our body is tight or uncomfortable, we regard it with compassion, empathy, care, we try to, in some way, alleviate. If we encounter sensations that feel good, and we appreciate perhaps some area that used to feel painful that isn't right now. And lastly, if we encounter stress, tension, tightness, pain, in the body that we can alleviate, and we practice equanimity. We acknowledge it, and then we take time to focus on other areas of the body that we can address. We don't over-focus on one area at the expense of others. So starting at the top, just of the head, just slowly at your own pace, scan down through the body from the inside out. Noting, for example, if the forehead feels relaxed or does it feel scrunched? If there's any tightness, how can we Use the mind to massage or send that area compassionate thoughts, may you relax, may I relax. And just continue moving down the body with a spotlight of awareness Exemplifying all the Brahma-viharas, goodwill, compassion, appreciation, equanimity. So try to bring the mind, to mind an image of yourself, either as you might appear today, or at some point in the past, just any image, if you can, summon, summon an image of yourself. For many of us, developing Goodwill and compassion and appreciation for ourselves may be the hardest practice, especially for those of us who have any degree of core shame, stemming from earlier interpersonal wounds. It's very worthwhile. So hold this image of yourself or any reflection of yourself, and then just send yourself well wishes. I'll verbalize mine, but you can use whatever wording is right for you. May I be peaceful and live with ease. May I find may I find freedom from suffering. Either may my happiness or when I'm happy, may that continue. May my happiness continue or when I'm happy, may that continue. And finally, reminding ourselves my happiness. And my suffering are ultimately the results of my skillful thoughts and actions. Reminding ourselves of our fundamental responsibility to ourself. I also like the phrase, I love you, keep going. So now bringing to mind someone that we care about, someone that we love, someone close to us. Holding their image or their name in mind, may you be peaceful and live with ease. May you find freedom from suffering. May you find freedom from suffering. May your happiness continue. then equanimity reminding ourselves of the limits to our goodwill and compassion your happiness and suffering are ultimately the results of your thoughts and actions there's only so much i can do your happiness and suffering are ultimately the result of your thoughts and actions And now I'm bringing to mind someone we don't know. Someone we may see, but we are indifferent to or don't know that well. We have no negative or positive stance towards. So this is slightly more difficult to feel goodwill and so forth. But it's worth practicing. May you be peaceful and live with ease. Literally imagine sending that thought to this person. May you find freedom from suffering. May you find freedom from suffering. May your happiness continue. Or when you're happy, may that continue. Your happiness and suffering are the results of your thoughts and actions. Knowing the limit. There's only so much we can do. Now, From the people that we love, it's difficult to set equanimity, but it's easy to send them goodwill, compassion, appreciation. With people we don't know, it's a little harder to feel goodwill, compassion, appreciation, but a little easier to feel equanimity. Now as we reflect on someone that we're really upset, angry with. This could be someone that is a figure not in our life or a figure that someone that we feel hurt by. Either will do. And you'll notice it's harder and harder to cultivate goodwill compassion, especially the more wounded or hurt by or disappointed by their actions. And it will be much easier to send thoughts of equanimity, but we don't want to send them those thoughts from a place of aversion. So holding someone in your mind that's difficult May you be peaceful and live with ease. Again, knowing that if they are peaceful, then their intentions and actions will be peaceful, so ultimately it is in not just their interest, but in the interests of all that they experience peace. May you find freedom from suffering When people are suffering, they often act unskillfully. So, again, it's in the interests of all to wish them an end to their suffering. May you find freedom from suffering. May your true happiness continue. May your happiness continue. This is not happiness. One, from poor actions, but true happiness, the results of peaceful intentions. May that continue. And then finally, reminding them and ourselves, your happiness and suffering are the results of your thoughts and actions. You are the owner of your acts. Not sending that thought with any punishing intention, just a very balanced reflection. Your happiness and suffering are the results of your thoughts and actions. May all beings be happy, peaceful, live with ease. May all beings find freedom from suffering. May all beings' true happiness continue and may all beings know that their happiness and suffering suffering are ultimately the result of their thoughts and actions so in a moment i'm going to ring the bowl And when you hear the sound, just take your time and slowly become aware of the sights around you, but try to set an intention to bring with you the um, awareness of your internal body states as well.